Amen. Thank you, guys. Beautiful song as we wait during Advent for our beloved Savior. Thanks, Becca. Carrie, you're singing next week too, right? So Dr. Ayler will be back next week for the Christmas cantata with 15, very different setup next week, 15 uh, orchestra members, and I think there's 44 in the choir next week, which is going to be amazing, but Stephen and Ryan helping us out on the rhythm section here today too, and of course, Nathan Burbank, just appreciate these guys jumping in. Rachel is better with fire than I am, so thank you for successfully lighting um, the candle today. I'm, I think I'm done with fire for a while at least. I do love Advent season. This is a, a special time, and I'm, I'm so grateful to everybody who stuck around and helped uh, make the, the, the decorations work, and uh, we saw, I think Tony Caldwell was on a ladder that was way too tall, and it, it all worked out by God's grace, and then Today, uh, even after the, the de depressing results of the Iron Bowl for Miles, he still serves. He showed up early to greet at the East Entrance with his wife, Elena, and now he's running the slides. Thank you, Miles. And, and Mike Whittle, we gave him apparently no warning at all there was going to be this huge band today, and he came and set it all up uh, just by himself. So we really appreciate our AV team and their work that they're doing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. They don't get noticed unless they mess up, you know, so we have to, to give them some love uh, and, and appreciate them uh, as they really do. But this is a special time of year. I, I do love the Advent season. I love everything about it. I like to watch all the football and basketball. It was great last night. We, we got home from East Tennessee, and I got to, to watch the, the end of the Iron Bowl, and then went right to Belmont basketball at MTSU. That was on uh, uh, some random channel, which was fantastic. Just an incredible time for food. I love to eat all the food. I think this jacket fit better a week ago than it does today, but uh, really enjoy all the time with family. I enjoy giving all the presents and getting all the presents. Just, I, I love everything about it. But it's so easy to lose our focus on Christ during this season, isn't it? I feel like the older I get, the, the busier I am, the, the more things there are to attend and to do, and it's so uh, easy to be distracted off of the things of Christ, which this season is all about. We fight this battle daily at my house during December. Uh, Morgan had a CD of children's songs that our preschool had given to Isaiah here. They're practicing for the preschool program, and they're beautiful little songs. Oh, come let us adore him, as we sang earlier. That's one of them. And, and Isaiah was singing them for us, and he said, Dad, these are songs about... Jesus in a manger. And I said, yeah, they're, they're Christmas songs. He said, no, no, they're not Christmas songs. They're about Jesus in the manger. And I was like, oh, we've we failed. We've really missed the boat on uh, teaching him that Jesus in the manger is Christmas. That is what Christmas is about. So we're gonna have some, some work still to do. We are doing our Come Let Us Adore Him devotion. We, we started this morning. It is really wonderful. I hope that you are reading that along with us. I will mention it every Sunday in my sermon at some point. So in an effort to keep things centered on Christ during December, a lot of churches have gone back into the ancient historic Christian tradition, uh, churches like ours, and have brought back Advent, the practice of Advent, which is not the same thing as Christmas. Really hardcore liturgical churches won't sing joy to the world uh, like we did this morning, 
uh, because they won't sing that until Christmas Day because this is a season of longing, a season of expectation, a season, a season of waiting. But there's really only two good Advent songs, I think. We sang them both this morning. Come thou long expected Jesus, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And, and the good thing about being Baptist is that we're free to borrow from the riches of the historic Christian tradition w- without being slaves to it. So that is a nice thing about being Baptist. I was very happy to sing Joy to the World this morning. It doesn't bother me at all. So we start this new year today, actually. Advent begins the new year in the life of the church. And there's a reason that the year is set up this way. Miles, do we have that graphic with the, the year of the church calendar? No, that's not it. <laughs> that's, our, that's our church calendar. Don't worry about it. You can go back to it. Uh, we've, we were all, the staff was all out of town, and we, we really are looking forward to Aaron Duncan being with us in January. It's going to be uh, fantastic to have that. But the, the church year is set up in such a way that the story of Jesus begins at Advent. The church calendar begins today, December 1st, the first Sunday of Advent. And it's the story of Jesus that, that comes with his showing up and arriving on earth. And then it goes through what happens next, you know? We know that after Advent, we move in toward this spring season, and we have Ash Wednesday coming up, February 26th. Reverend Trey Heyman will be leading that service. And then we move into Lent, right? We move into a season of preparation, looking forward to Holy Week, where we have our Maundy Thursday service, then we have our Good Friday, then we have Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. And that's the story of Jesus, his arrival his life and teaching, his death and resurrection. And then we move into what's called ordinary time in the summer. And that's a time where it's about the story of God's people, the church. So we move through that beautiful calendar. And it's important that in that cycle that we have this season where we are in this tension of waiting. Where we don't just skip to Christmas. Where we don't just jump to the manger but that we embrace the tension that is inherent in the season of Advent. Why is that so important? One reason is that we can appreciate the birth of the Savior so much more if we've been longing for it for a time period. We've been waiting and waiting, and finally on Christmas, we can celebrate the birth of the Savior. Another reason is that the the tension of waiting that, that Advent, uh, you know, alternates between despair and longing and celebration and joy, that tension is really reflective of how our lives really go in reality, isn't it? We have these seasons of longing and despair, and we also have seasons of joy and celebrating. I think all of us can relate to the psalmist in Psalm 40. Verse 17, he cries out, As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Do not delay. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Do not delay. 
We find ourselves in these seasons where we say, God, come and rescue me soon. I'm waiting. I'm longing. I'm trying to be faithful, but I need you to show up soon. That's really what Advent is about. So we're going to be looking at a few texts this Advent season that are kind of right around the classic Luke 2 Advent story. And all of these texts have to do with waiting on the promises that our God has given to his people. The promises that he is good all the time. That he is in control all the time. That he loves us all the time with a love that passes our own understanding. So let's stand now, if you're able to, in honor of God's word as I read our text for today from Luke chapter 1. It's a story about waiting, and I think you'll find it familiar. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. 
You know, I don't know about you, but uh, when I consider the nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the one that stands out to me, and Morgan will tell you which one it is, the one that I kind of cringe at and say, oh, need to work on that one, patience. I'm not a very patient person. I confess, I'm working on it. The Lord's working on me to cultivate patience in me. When Rachel was giving the children's sermon here and talking about patience, Morgan had an elbow in my ribs. <laughs> the Lord is not done with me yet. You know, uh, a couple years ago, I told Trey, our, our minister of students, I said, hey, uh, no need to hire a bus driver for summer camp this year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get my CDL, and I'm going to be the cool bus driver who, you know, high fives all the kids when you get on the bus. Yeah, you would love that, Ethan, right? If I was your bus driver, that'd be so fun. I was like, this is going to be great. Pastor Nathan's going to drive everybody down to the beach. It'll be so fun. So I went on down to where you have to go to get your commercials, dri commercial driver's license, the DMV. If you subscribe to the Tennessean like I do, because I'm an old soul, uh, then you would see a series of articles on how bad the DMV in Tennessee is. I think the Lord is using the DMV to cultivate patience. It's a disciple-making tool in the hands of the Lord uh, for people like myself who just can't handle it. I, uh, I went to the counter at the DMV, and then the lady was super nice. She was way nicer than I expected. And I said, I'd like to sit for the commercial driver's license test, please. And she said, okay. And she handed me a clipboard with like 12 pages. I said, not a problem. I can do that. And about, you know, 30 minutes later, I turned in my, my 12 pages, and she said, okay, thanks. And I said, now, where do I take my test? And she said, oh, honey, that's not how this works. You, you need to take a number. And I took a number, and you know the rest of the story. Two and a half hours later, I finally was called back to take my test. I think finishing my doctorate was probably easier than getting a CDL these days. I can't imagine anyone having the patience to endure what you have to go through. Uh, they, they told me I had to drive to Chattanooga to, to take a test. I said, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm done. I didn't finish. I didn't even complete. I, I still don't have my CD. I think Mark and Marcus are the only two here who have their CDLs. That's why we sold the bus. <laughs> Nobody could drive it. In this text today, we see an example of patient waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are a humble and blameless couple, it says. They're a godly couple. And we read that they were unable to have a baby, which is the, the difficult journey that so many of us have been on. I know so many of my friends who've struggled in, in that area and have prayed and, and received varying answers from the Lord. It's such a difficult path to be on. Each month that passes and their prayers go unanswered, it becomes more and more of a burden. And it's not like Zachariah and Elizabeth are bad people. They're not living in sin. They're not in rebellion against the Lord and his ways. We know that verse 6 says they were both righteous before God. They obeyed the commandments and his statutes. The next verse, verse 7, says they were advanced in years, which we can assume means they were past the age of 
childbearing. I wonder if, if bitterness had, had crept in to their hearts for Zechariah and Elizabeth. I wonder if they began to hold a grudge against God who had failed to answer their prayers. They'd, they'd done all the right things. I mean, Zechariah was a dutiful priest. The, the commentaries I read said there were about 8,000 of these kinds of Levitical priests during this time in, in Judea, and, and they just faithfully did their work. He wasn't special. He was just a humble, faithful servant of the Lord. And Zechariah's name means the Lord has remembered, but I wonder if he had come to resent his own name because it seemed as if the Lord had not remembered he and his wife. But everything changed on the day that old Zeke wins the, the lots. They had four sets of like dice that they would cast the priests to see who would do what job in the temple that day when their division was on duty. My wife teaches one of the, the pre-K classes down in the preschool and she and her co-worker uh, assign jobs to the kids every day and they, they come in and, and Morgan says, check the board for your job. It was kind of like that with the, the priest to see what they were gonna do that day. And, and most priests never got to do the incense. And this day, the incense dice lands on Zechariah. He gets to be the guy who gets to go into the holy place in Herod's temple and, and, and to offer prayers to the Lord and light the incense on behalf of all the people of Israel. I bet he couldn't wait to, to get in there and, and do it and go home and tell Elizabeth, I got to be the incense guy today. I bet he just was so excited, but all that excitement soon turned to terror once he entered into the holy place. And who did he see standing there who shouldn't, no one's allowed in there? And there's Gabriel, the mighty messenger of God. He had appeared in Babylon to Daniel. We read that in Daniel chapter 8, that he showed up. That was 500 years before this. We know that he was one of the top angels in the Lord's angel order. And now he had returned to earth. This is exciting for many reasons. One, it, it means that the, the messianic age has begun. God's doing something new with the arrival of Gabriel once again. You know, the age of prophecy had ended 400 years prior to this. God had remained silent. It was really a dark time. Scholars call it the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's no prophets. There's no word from the Lord. God seems distant and silent and removed during this period of time. But it all changes when Gabriel shows up. You know, 400 years prior, the last prophet that we read is Malachi. And Malachi gave a promise from the Lord in, in Malachi chapter four, verse two. He said, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You know, Gabriel breaks God's silence for 400 years about the son that had come and was about to rise with healing in his wings. He speaks in verse 13 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah. That's a big deal that God speaks for the first time in centuries. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Yohanan, John in Hebrew, and it means Yohanan in, in Greek, it means God has been gracious. God had shown grace to Zeke and Elizabeth. He was going to give them a child. It wasn't because of their own goodness that merited a child. It wasn't because they were blameless that they deserved a child. The Lord was showing them grace like he does for all of us with every good and perfect gift that we have because it all comes from him. And this baby would not just be a, a normal baby. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he was in the womb. He would be a prophet, the greatest prophet that ever lived since Moses. And this baby would be the one through whom the Lord would choose to speak. He would be a vessel of the Lord's revelation to the world. God put his spirit in this child so that the child could grow up to fulfill God's plans and purposes and play his part in God's redemptive story. Verse 17 says, He, John, will go before him, the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What a task. John would be the new Elijah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He would set the scene for the arrival, for the advent of the Lord incarnate. So Gabriel gives him this proclamation, and then I imagine he kind of stands there waiting silently. And how does Zechariah respond? Does he say, great, thank you, God? No, it's heartbreaking. He responds with disbelief. Verse 18, he basically says, wait a minute, wait a minute, Gabriel. How am I supposed to know this is legit? My wife and I are too old to have a baby. This can't be. Doesn't Zechariah know the scriptures? Like Rachel said, these are stories that we've heard over and over again in scripture. Sarah was 90 years old when Isaac was born. You know, Samuel and Samson were both born to women who could not previously have children. God has done it before, and he certainly could do it again. The, the, this new messianic age that was breaking on God's people was to be built on believing that God could do the impossible. In verse 19, Gabriel explains this to, to old Zeke. He says, I am Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. Who can stand in God's presence? I can. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. You know what the word for good news is, don't you? It's gospel. Euangelisasthai is what he says. I, it's usually translated as I preach you the gospel. It's the similar word that the angels in Luke 2, when they appear to the shepherds in the fields and their flocks by night, they say, I bring you glad tidings, euangelizomai. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
It's the good news. And instead of embracing that good news, Zeke says, I don't think so. That doesn't sound quite right. And now Zeke would have nine long months to reflect on his doubt. Gabriel tells him good news and says, do you believe this or not? And he says, I don't. And now he's got nine months to think about it. I once completely lost my voice on a mission trip in New Orleans. Remember that, Morgan? And I, I just couldn't utter a, couldn't make a sound. And that was hard for me because I don't know if you know this, I like to talk. I like to be a vocal leader. And everybody on that trip gave me a hard time about it because I, I couldn't make any sound come out of my mouth. It, I, I was sick. I had some kind of like laryngitis thing going on. But I learned a lot on that trip because I had to be this silent, kind of detached observer. And I, I, it was really compelling for me to reflect on everything that was happening instead of just kind of barrel my way through like I like to do. Zeke would have a similar time to think and contemplate and pray about what was happening. Indeed, Elizabeth soon would become pregnant and would bear a son. And although their son was not the, the true light of the world, he would have a special part to play in the true light's story. Six months later, six months after this text that we read today, we read about how Elizabeth's young relative, a little girl from Nazareth named Mary, would come visit her with her own good news. She too was going to have a baby. Like Rachel said, verse 39, look at verse 39 of Luke 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the question before us today. During this whole Advent season, do we believe that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord? Or are we more like Zeke? I tend towards cynicism, towards skepticism. It's just how I'm wired in my sinful nature. I have to fight it to believe the truth of the gospel. I wanted to do like Zeke and say, how do I know? Give me a sign, prove that this is true. How do I know that what you say is for real? We have to fight to trust that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It's true. All the stories are true. I hope you did pick up a copy of, of Paul David Tripp's um, for $5, uh, Come Let Us Adore Him. Linda Hunt said she'd be selling them in the library. There's 18 left, so hot commodity today. On Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, the devotion will be about how Christ fulfills our longings, that he is the ultimate yes to every desire we have. 
does that mean that, that we are going to be able to have a baby when doctors tell us that we can't? Maybe. God could do it, but maybe not. You see, Jesus fulfilling the promises of God doesn't mean that we're going to get that promotion at work or that we're going to reconcile with this estranged family member necessarily. What it does mean is that we can learn to live into God's best ways for our lives now and forever. Paul Tripp says, the surety of all the past prophecies and the specificity of how Jesus fulfilled them is also your guaranteed future hope. The story that the prophets of old pointed to has not yet come to its final conclusion. This means that today, in your life and mine, God is still working his unstoppable plot. And he will not relent or rest until all that the prophets predicted is fully realized in the lives of every one of his children. Know today that it's not just you who battles and struggles with sin and is in the middle of suffering. The Messiah, prophesied by those saints of old, battles on your behalf. And he will not quit until sin and suffering are no more. And I love this line from Tripp. He says, like movie trailers, the prophets give you a taste of God's plot of which you now live in the middle. The movement of the plot doesn't rest on your wisdom, your power, your goodness, but on the unstoppable zeal of the one who is perfect in his holiness and plenteous in his grace. And because it does, the last chapter for which we all long is secure. Maybe you're really struggling with something difficult today, some longing, some period of waiting that you or your family have been in for a long time now. I don't want to minimize the pain of not being able to have a baby or dealing with the overwhelming grief of the loss of a loved one or whatever it is that you're walking through today. I don't want to minimize it. I know a lot of people in our church who are really struggling, who are sick emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. I I would just ask that whatever you're going through today, I, I, I beg you to avoid the path of bitterness and grudge holding because it only leads to destruction. We all have bad things in our life. It's true. In this fallen world, we will have tribulation, Jesus tells us. But God is in the business of working good out of the bad. That's what Advent's all about. He's really good at it. Rick Warren says, God turns your hurts into holiness. He turns your wounds into wisdom. He uses offenses to remove your pretenses. When you believe that God can bring good things out of very bad things, he will rebuild your soul, your broken thoughts, your broken emotions, your broken will. That's what Advent hope is all about. Believing that God can do great things out of very bad things. That's hope, the hope that only comes through the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe he can do it for you and for me 
and for our church and for your family and for your loved ones and for your friends and for Nashville and for Tennessee and for the United States and for the world today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are in the business of transforming lives, that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. God, I pray that you would remind us of the hope of Advent, that just like Zachariah and Elizabeth walked through a season of hardship and struggle, that you have a gracious plan and that you show us grace time and time again and you never run out and you never get tired of giving and giving and giving. God, we thank you that you have gracious intentions for us. We thank you for the promises of Scripture that you are making all things new, even though we don't see it all the time, even though we don't feel it. God, we can cling to those promises because Jesus Christ has proven them to be true. They're all yes and amen in him. God, if there's people here today who are struggling, who are sad, who are lonely, who are anxious, who are longing desperately, I pray that you would remind them of the good news of Advent, that you did not leave us alone to battle these things, but that you entered into our world to take them on for us. Help us to trust in you more fully as we put all of our faith in you, our only hope. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation now. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's no better time to do so than right now, today, Advent season, the first Sunday of Advent. If you want to put all of your trust in him and say, I believe, I've been like Zechariah, and I've said, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing, but now you're ready to say, yes, I want in. Uh, I come now during this time of response and talk to me about it. Maybe you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member and be part of our family of faith. You know, our Thanksgiving banquet we had last Sunday, it was amazing to hear testimony after testimony about how this family has been there for each other in hard times and what this family has meant to one another. If you want to, to be in on Woodmont Baptist Church, come now. If you want to be baptized, you've never been baptized, whatever it is that you need to do during this time, come forward. If you want to pray with somebody, I'd ask Morgan if you'd come forward, Bob Buckner, if you'll come over here too, your son-in-law's playing guitar, so if you'll come stand here as well. If you want to pray with Bob or my wife, I've prayed with both these people, mostly with my wife, uh, but if you want to pray with someone, they'll be here to receive you. Brad's back there too. Brad, if you'll come up here too. Uh, if you want to pray, uh, Brad's a prayer partner of mine. If maybe you need healing. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's physical. Whatever it is, the Lord can do it. I believe that, and he can do it. And if you want prayer today, please come forward during this time. Let's stand and sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Jesus.